This morning as we go through this chapter, uh, I would like to you, there, there's, you're going to see three or four healings by Jesus, but I would like you to really observe Jesus through this and see what he is thinking, what he's saying, what he's doing, and why. We just finished the three chapters that are the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, and hopefully we appropriated this teaching that Jesus gave us, especially that we've, it, you know, got, the, got what he meant by the Beatitudes and some of the other stuff that's there. Hopefully we appropriated that teaching, and hopefully it's time now to go forward in the Spirit with Jesus, off the mountain, down into the valley where the demon-possessed people are, where the sick people are. And that we shall do. Amen? Amen. The first encounter Jesus has is with a leper. (coughs) Boys and girls, it's not a leopard, although this guy couldn't change his spots either. But, oh, that was bad, wasn't it? Leprosy is a is a, a terrible disease. Uh, it can be found literally everywhere, but it, in those areas there, it was very common, and it was considered by a lot of people, especially the Jews, the worst curse God could put on somebody. And it's a skin disorder affecting eventually all your organs, and it's agonizing to live with. And people have even been known to lose fingers and toes and even hands and feet as a result of it. It's a nasty disease. Lepers at that time were supposed to cover themselves and go about in Jerusalem or or in Israel, and they were supposed to cover themselves. And when they came in the vicinity of anybody else, they were supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean. People have been known to, to see this and think, oh, these are lepers, get away from them. It was unheard of to touch them because you could actually, you know, get this very contagious disease. Understanding this, the leper comes to the feet of Jesus, and the Bible says that he worshipped him. But he wanted something more, and he asked to be cleansed of his leprosy this way. He said, if you are willing, Lord, you can make me clean. And then Jesus did, did something that was unheard of. He touched that contagious leper. It's not, that wasn't done in those days. So he says to the man, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, the Bible says, immediately the leprosy left him. It was clean, he was completely clean. Now, Jesus gives him instructions about what to do under the law for leprosy. Go and show yourself to the priest according to what Moses wrote and tell no one about this. Why do this? Remember, Jesus did not come down here to eliminate the law. He came to fulfill it. And people were still under the law for righteousness at that time. So by showing the priest, he was healed and the 
tedious process of going through that, and how he was healed would be proof that Jesus is the one who had done it. So Jesus simply said to him, I'm willing. Be cleansed. What about you? You and I are sick with a different kind of a a sickness. And we can't do anything under the law to get rid of it either. <laughs> we can't get rid of, of the sin that afflicts our soul from Adam until now, actually. And the difference is now we're not under the law. We go straight to Jesus for healing like this leper did. And I want to read something to you out of Romans chapter 8, verse 3, the way God heals now. Listen very carefully. Romans 8, 3, For what the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh, God did. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. In whose flesh? In His own. But the thing is, is that the law can't do this. The law could never do this. Because the law demands obedience. And obedience isn't always available to us because we're, the law is too high, it's too spiritual, it's too beyond us to be able to obey it sometimes. <laughs> but if Jesus speaks to us, if Jesus touches us, it's immediate. I just want to stop and say for a minute what he's talking about there in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. A lot of people don't understand after they get saved or they come to Christ, they say, why am I still sinning? Why do I still have sin? I thought Jesus made me completely clean. Well, he did. <laughs> but the problem is you don't understand that indwelling in this body is a sin nature, a nature to sin, a nature that, that draws you towards sin. And that is what would condemn you before the law and before God. Paul struggled with this in Romans 7. But here's the thing. What God did is really interesting. He judged the sin that's in you. But He didn't judge you. Isn't that great? By laying it on Jesus' flesh... By laying it on Him, He took a man of flesh, though He was the Son of God, and judged all sin that's in our flesh on Him. And said, now to us, I am willing, be clean. Isn't that great? I mean, that's something that, that that's why no Christian is ever going to face their sins before God. You're going to be judged for your works, but those works have to do with the quality of what you did for Jesus while you were here. And for those of you who do absolutely nothing, I don't know, I said this one time in a church, and I got in trouble for it from a, a guy who's kind of legalistic, but, but uh, I said, if we were making the clothes that we're going to wear before the Lord for all eternity, some of us will be wearing bikinis. And this dear old 
man came down the side with his Bible open and said, you shouldn't have said the word bikini. I don't know why. You know, it's just what I was trying to illustrate is that if we're really producing what we're going to have in heaven, some of us are going to be near naked, almost without anything. Loss, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Suffer loss. Well, God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to come into heaven with fanfare. But here's the thing. You can come to Jesus today. And if you understand what he did for you, for you and me, what we needed so badly. I'm so tired of listening to preachers, especially on the radio. They'll talk about something in the Scripture and they'll say, now you need Jesus, you need to come and ask him in your heart. That's what you need to do. And I never, ever hear some of these people talking about the fact that the Son of God had to sacrifice Himself in order for you to be able to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not saved by hearing a message about Jesus. You're saved by hearing a message about Jesus crucified and risen. Because that is the only thing that takes your guilt away. Otherwise, we'd just be a bunch of silly religious people going from one service to another, doing things that we thought and hoped the Lord would like. When in reality, it's His will that we not try to prove that we're Christians. It isn't our faith. We're going to talk about faith in a minute with the centurion. But the point of the whole thing is this. You can come to Jesus just like you are. Notice something. I want you to get this. That leper did not come to Jesus and say, let me uh, clean myself up and get rid of these scabby sores, and then I'll come to you, Jesus. He came just like he was. Filthy, dirty, rotten leper. And Jesus said, I'm willing to be clean. Instantaneous, immediate healing. You can say that. John 15, 3, you say, is that really that easy? Is it really that simple? Well, it's easy for you because you couldn't do it. Otherwise, it was hard for him because he had to die to make it happen. But listen to what he says in John 15, 3. He says, you're already clean through the word that I spoke to you. Hmm. Now, we're going to look at this Roman centurion for a minute. Because he is a beautiful illustration of what faith really is. I have people say, you know, one of the the devil's favorite tools is to get you to put faith in your own faith. As if it had some power in and of itself. He doesn't want us to do that. There's no power in your faith unless it's placed in the right person. Then you're placing in the power of the person. Not the power of your faith. Faith is really nothing. But as you're going to see here in a minute, faith, it does involve something that is unique, that was so unique that it caused Jesus to be amazed. Let's look at that, the the centurion. Now, you've got to understand the humility of this, this Roman soldier, folks. He's not coming for himself. He's not coming to ask God for something for himself. He's coming to ask for a Jewish servant lying sick and tormented in bed at home. And he came to him, and, uh, you know, a centurion is a commander of a hundred people, a hundred men. That's not a light thing taken in the Roman army. That was not a, uh, you know, 
That wasn't just a gunny, gunnery sergeant. Pardon me, Ezra. You see the compassion this Roman had for his Jewish servant? And he comes to Jesus and he says, My servant is sick at home. Jesus said, I'll go with you. Now, here's the problem. Jesus knew that the Jewish custom was that if a Jew went into a Gentile's house, he would be defiled. The Roman centurion knew the same thing. But Jesus was prepared to go across all Jewish customs, cut right through every religious silliness, and go do what needed to be done. Aren't you glad he's like that? He's free. He can do what he wants. So the, Jew, the um, centurion did not want Jesus to defile himself. He knew those customs. But now we see what real faith is. And Jesus is just amazed at this. And you should be too. Jesus said, I mean, the centurion said, you don't have to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. What did this Roman understand (laughs) that so many of us today don't understand? Well, he understood that faith operates only under authority. What? Faith operates only under authority. Oh, we don't like that. We just don't like that at all. But here's how he explained it. He said, you just say the word, my servant will be healed. He said, for I'm a man, get this, under authority. Authority. Well, who did he submit to? Well, a tribune or whoever's next to the line uh, of the Romans, right? He had an officer to report to. But then he says, and I have men under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes, and this one come and comes, and I do this, and he says, do this. They better do it. (laughs) It would really be kind of threatening to your life if you didn't. And listen to what Jesus says here. Now, get the picture. The Roman centurion is satisfied with Jesus just saying the word. Because, and his explanation is that is because I understand authority. I'm under authority, and I have authority. Can I just tell you something? If you rebel, against God-ordered authority, you could say, I love Jesus all day long, and you're just being a phony. And I'm, I'm not just talking, ladies, to you, you to, to submit to your husbands and that kind of thing or to your employer or whatever. This is in all areas of life, and this centurion grasped that. He said, if I give orders, they have to be obeyed. And I know, Lord Jesus, that faith equates to submission to God. Faith equates to submission to God. Now, he said, uh, Jesus said, look, in John 14, 10, Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does this. 
You see the importance of God's order? Faith and repentance are submission to God and to His Christ. He's done everything needed to save you at Calvary. There's nothing left to do. He said it's finished and it's finished. But you now are to come and accept this free gift of eternal life that you don't deserve. Isn't that amazing? That's the way Christ established this church as well. You can turn there. You don't have to turn there if you have my notes, whatever. But Ephesians 4, 10 through 13, listen to what he says. Ephesians 4, 10 through 13. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave to the church, in other words, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, that's what he gave to the church. Why? You know, the Roman centurion understood this order issue. Why is it so hard for Christians today? I don't get it. He gave some as apostles. We don't have those anymore. Some as prophets. We don't need those anymore. We've got this. Some as evangelists. We need those. Pastors, we need those. Teachers, we need them. And the Greek word for pastor is poeme, and it has the idea of someone who rules and shepherds over a group in love. Now, he had said he had not found this kind of faith even in Israel. Israel should have been the place where he did find it, right? (laughs) But he didn't. Instead, he found a Gentile centurion Roman soldier who had more faith than anybody else in Israel. Wow. He just took Jesus at his word. Now, his response to the centurion in verse 13, Go your way as you have believed it, let it be done for you. And again, the word immediate service is here. The servant was immediately healed. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, And submit yourself to His Lordship. Your salvation is immediate. Immediate. You don't have to wait to be saved when Jesus comes back or when you die. When you receive Christ, you are immediately placed in a position where your salvation and everything He's going to give to you is immediate. You may not feel it. I hear people say, oh, I feel God's with me. You can't feel God. Well, maybe some of you can. I don't know. Maybe he does that sometimes to bring you to him. But the spiritual realm is so far above us, so far out away from the fleshly realm, that feelings don't have a lot to do with it. Faith is not in feelings. Faith is in facts. These facts. The Word, the testimony of God about his Son. So... He says in 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son has the life. Now, how do you know if you have the Son of God? How do you know? It says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. How do you know? Well, if you stay in context with 1 John 5, the next verse tells you how you know. These things I have written to you who believe. In the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
If you can't take God as word, who are you going to believe? He even says before that, if we receive the testimony of men, and listen, I don't care if you were saved at four-year-old and your mommy told you were saved, that doesn't mean you are. God has to tell you you're saved. Amen? Okay. <laughs> we're still together here. It's amazing all the things that happen with Jesus, the immediacy of their effect. But you know what he says real obedience is? Immediate. Brother Darren came down. I hope you don't mind me telling this. Brother Dan came down to talk to me here this morning, and he and I probably saw us leave. He said, the Lord told me to come down here and pray for you. I said, good. <laughs> he said, I said, you want to do it when we, no, I've been, I was told to do it now. So he and I went in the room and he prayed for me. And he prayed for you. And that was all he wanted. He didn't come down here to with a big problem or something. He just wanted to pray for me. Boy, I sure hope all of you are doing that. Because I pray for you. But here's the thing. He who has the Son has eternal life. Real obedience is immediate obedience. Not, hmm, I won't know if I really want to find out what God's will is or what His other will is. So, Jesus takes this opportunity to do something really strange here. He already told the centurion, okay, your servants, just go on your way. He's, he's healed. And immediately, that same minute, he was. Now, Jesus takes this opportunity to talk about something in the future that's coming. And he says this, many will come from the east and the west, and many people, not physical Israel, will come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founders of Israel. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. What? Wait a minute. I thought the Jews were God's chosen people. Not according to this. God's chosen people are those in Christ. You see, the promises God made to Israel were predicated entirely on the acceptance of the Messiah. And what did they do? Nothing. They, the promises made to David were predicated entirely on the Messiah. To reject the Messiah, you're rejecting all the promises of God. I want to share a story that a young man shared with me today. I'm not going to tell you who it is or tell his name. And it's a really important story. And some of you are going to know what I'm talking about because you'll know this person. But it has such an effect on me that I just asked that person if I could share it. So this young man said when he was younger, a little boy, he prayed to have a bird. He wanted a pet bird. And he prayed, prayed for almost a year for a pet bird. And one day he was out in the backyard by where he played out there. And there was this bird, this, this bird that was running around. And he went up to it didn't run away from him. And it, it, not only did it not run away from him, it ran up to him, I guess, or whatever. And he could get just as close as I am to this pulpit. And he, he looked at that bird and stomped his foot on it. Stomped it, trampled it, and then ran into his mommy and cried. And she said, we need to go bury that bird. And that young man said something to me today that was so unique and so profound. He said, the Jews prayed for their Messiah 
over and over and long and long. And then what did they do to him when he got there? Trampled him. Do you not think that that upsets God? Do you not understand that at A.D. 70, God said, I've had enough. And he judged Israel in a way that they didn't have any sacrifices after that, and they still don't today. And God forbid that they ever should, because the only sacrifice that God will accept is the blood of his own son. So now, to any Jew or any Gentile who hears the message of Jesus Christ, all they have to do is just repent. Repentance means change your mind. Jews need to change their mind about who Jesus is. You and I need to change our mind about what sin is. <laughs> a lot of people, sometimes we tolerate sin a lot further than we should. But listen to what he says. By acceptance of him, you become God's Israel forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't believe me? Okay. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, regarding all these promises that God made. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God in him are maybe. Is that right? Yes. Guys, correct me here. Yes! Yes and amen. Yes, he says, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. That God's promises are only to those who are in Christ, not to those who have some kind of national heritage. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they claim. John the Baptist said, don't come in here and say that you got Abraham for your father. God can raise up Abraham's children from this old rock over here. <laughs> Rather bring fruit accustomed or accompanying real repentance. Okay, let's go to the next healing. Peter's mother-in-law. Peter enters, I mean, Jesus enters Peter's house and he finds out that his mother-in-law is lying sick. And yes, Peter had a wife. <laughs> he wasn't a, a celibate pope. He had a wife. Okay. And <laughs> Jesus touches her. And this fever just immediately lives. There's that word again. Immediately leaves her. And what does she do? Well, take a couple of days of recuperation. Is that what she did? She got up and served immediately. You don't have to wait. If you got saved and you want to serve the Lord, you don't have to wait for some sort of honeymoon with Jesus <laughs> or to recuperate. Just get up and go. Get up and serve. You've got everything you need right there on the spot to do the job. Amen? And so that's what she did. You know, it's amazing that the healing was so complete that she could get up after being on a sick bed and start serving them. Oh, that's beautiful. That's like salvation, isn't it? When evening came, it says, they brought to him many people who were demon-possessed and sick, and he cast out the demons and healed them all. I love that. Matthew tells us this is a fulfillment of Scripture spoken by Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him, 
and by his stripes we are healed. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's a group of people out there today that say that Jesus, in his death, took all the sicknesses of all humans. And there's no need for us to get sick anymore. Well, I went to four funerals this week. And I found out that the mortality rate among humans is 100%. One out of one. And... Two of these, three of these people, one of them you don't know is a dear friend of ours, but two of these people you do know in here, and there were some others up in this area that died too, but two of these people were people that followed Jesus. One of them was a pastor up here at Edgewood. I went to his funeral yesterday. It was amazing the number of people that got up and testified to that man's faithfulness to God. Whew. You know what he was doing just before he died? Witnessing to somebody. <laughs> and he called some of his people at church and said, I'm going to die tonight, so I wanted to get some things straight with you guys. Most of them said, I'm going to die tonight. Oh, my gosh. Not this man. He said, I'm going to die tonight, and I want you guys to get some few things straight before I go because I won't be here tomorrow morning for very long. And he wasn't. How blessed is that? <laughs> How blessed is it that God would tell you, you're going to die tonight, so I've got a few things for you to do. Still, listen, while we're in the flesh, if God has anything for us to do, we're still immortal until he says, "That's come on home. <laughs> yeah, you all know Keith. <coughs> Great guy. <coughs> We have to balance this scripture about he bore our iniquities and so forth with what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24. Peter says, He himself (coughs) bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Now what's he talking about? Quotes the same thing back there that Isaiah did. It isn't he took all of our sicknesses. Come on, we still get sick, right? Some of us die, or all of us will eventually. That's not what he's talking about. The sickness that we have and carry on with us from generation to generation is sin. The sickness is sin. And that's what he bore. I I agree that sin is responsible for sickness. But the main thing that that we are problem is, is being separated from God forever. And he took care of that. He says, by his stripes we were healed. Healed from what? I just told you. Now, in context, Peter tells us that the sickness he bore wasn't for us never to get sick. But we know that people do today. Like I said, we've had several deaths up here this past week. Some of them really unexpected. Four that I can think of. Randy Woodall, pray for his family. Keith Barnhart, pray for his family and his church. Ralph Quick, I don't know anything about Ralph's condition before the Lord. And a man named Roy, Ray Mark Walker, who is a very good friend of Lula May. You see, Rod and I were talking this week. He goes, you know, all this death this week making my mortality slap me in the face. I said, what if you were 73? What if you're 85? 
What if you're 96? Seven? Six or seven? Six. Oh, good. I don't want to make you any older than you actually are. <laughs> yeah. Those that died who belonged to Christ are now in His presence. And I want you to understand something here. They are clean, they are whole, and they're completely healed, not because they're in heaven. They were that way before they went to heaven, simply by receiving Jesus. Do you want to be clean? Oh, you're not going to get rid of your sin completely. You're still going to sin. I sin. We all sin, you know. But the judgment of that sin has been taken away. And the only thing that you're going to face when you face judgment as a Christian is whether or not the quality of your work was something that Jesus was involved in. Was it done by love? I don't know. I just kind of have a feeling, like at least in Keith's case, because I, I knew him just well enough to know that I think when he got to heaven, he heard a well done. <laughs> you think about somebody that's so concerned about their congregation on their deathbed and not concerned about themselves. Who does that emulate? Jesus is hanging on the cross, looking down and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. His concern was for us. That's real love. Amen? I want you to understand something. Understand what the Roman centurion understood. There are some godly men in this church. I don't know any of them to be ill-willed, especially in the elders group. None of them are ill-willed. None of them sit around trying to make your life miserable. But they do are they are heavily concerned with your souls and they're heavily concerned with the health of this church. They make mistakes, big mistakes. We all do. We're not perfect. But guess what? We're forgiven. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh Father, thank you so much for this demonstration in your son, as we watched him, observed him, and the way he looked at, at different people. He, he touched people who wouldn't be touched. He, he dealt with people who's, who would, were Gentiles. They wouldn't even have anything to do with him. He even healed a relative of Peter's. In all of these things, I can't help but believe that he looked with compassion on every one of these people. And thank God on me.